Hi there and welcome to The Brave, the podcast about the people, companies and ideas building a better future. I'm your host Beth and Vincent and I'm the managing partner of Open Velocity. We're a marketing strategy consultancy and I started this podcast way even before I set up OV as a bit of an excuse to talk to interesting people doing interesting things. And we are back with season four. As you may have noticed, we had a little bit of a hiatus over the summer. If I'm perfectly honest, clients, work, holidays, all of that stuff uh, got in the way a little bit. So we decided to take a break, regroup and come back to you with a super exciting next season of EPS. So we're going to be exploring topics ranging from the future of financial inclusion all the way to the latest in sustainability and climate tech and everything in between. And today I'm really excited to present to you a really cool conversation I had with Greg Lawton, who's the co-founder of Nodes and Links. This is a platform that helps large capital projects deliver faster at less cost, more predictably and more sustainably by increasing the productivity of their people with AI and automation. And AI is a subject we delve into, but also I guess this episode is a bit of a uh, theoretical musing on project management as a discipline. It's really interesting, you know, as a marketer, I'm, I'm not a project manager, but I also am a project manager and have been involved in multi-year projects, moving things forward, orchestrating lots of different departments and different people. And it always strikes me, and we do kind of touch on this a little bit in the episode, that effective project management is about managing people and managing relationships. And this is why we have all of these episodes on better stakeholder relationships, all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, bringing people together to achieve complex tasks is complex in of itself. And, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm still surprised, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know, my kind of background, I studied history at university, still really fascinated by history. And when I go and see, you know, these massive structures that humans built without technology, modern technology, you know, you look at the pyramids or even cathedrals, which are essentially hand chiseled, it blows my mind at the amount of kind of orchestration and teamwork that went into putting a structure like that in place, at a level of precision that has allowed it to endure for hundreds and hundreds of years and also interestingly just really off piece cathedrals were often projects that lasted hundreds of years in of themselves so you know one of humanity's great kind of capabilities is is teamwork is you know socialization the ability to work in groups that's what sets us apart from many many different animals and you know I, I was really intrigued by this conversation with Greg and leveraging his kind of background in project management and also talking about kind of what, what's the future going to hold and what can small companies learn from large companies and institutions delivering these extremely large-scale capital projects so I hope you enjoyed it it was a fascinating chat and Let's get underway. Let's chat projects. So, Greg, thank you so much for coming on. I'd love to hear and start off with a bit about you, a little bit about your business, if that's okay. Sure. Well, I'm a I'm a project manager, and my business is about creating artificial intelligence for project managers. Brilliant. And I guess stupid question: How can AI help project managers? <laughs> it's actually easier to say how can't it help. I'll summarize kind of my perspective on it. What AI is, is just a new technology that we have that enables us to automate the mind. We have engines and we have pulleys that automate muscle. Now we've got technology that automates the mind. Project management is an office-based job in that it involves a lot of communication and a lot of mind work. 
So what I'd say is what it can do is enable individual people to vastly increase their productivity by automating elements of activities where it is economically viable to do so. So perfect example, I have to write a monthly report. I can write it from scratch every time, or I can get AI to write it for me, and I just check the draft. It is much quicker and much higher quality for me to check someone's work than it is for me to write a 10-page document from scratch. That makes sense. And I guess, forgive me, but my my experience of project management is the hard part of the job is the human element and dealing with mm -hmm. uh, the personalities you have to deal with. And, you know, I come at this from a technology background. It's like in the stand up, getting people to actually accurately report on the status of the task. So, again, is there a use case for AI in that side of things or is it more the kind of documentation organization? Mm -hmm. So I'll answer your question directly in a second, but I'd actually reframe your question, which is that project management is about setting out clear objectives and then using waterfall methodology to achieve those objectives. Waterfall methodology involves people, processes, tools, equipment, uh, materials, budgets, all of these things. Within, within those, there are tasks that are very analytical and data-driven, and there are tasks that are very emotional and socially driven. And it's that plethora of underlying tasks. So imagine it being a pyramid. It's that plethora of underlying tasks whereby we have tools and techniques and technologies to, in, to help us. So for example, could a piece of technology communicate a point as emotionally as a human could communicate a point? Well, it's kind of irrelevant, that question, because people aren't doing it right now. But could technology help that? Yes. Zoom. We're on a Zoom calls right now. Technology is helping me and you communicate over vast distances at very low cost. It is not, it is not doing this conversation for us. It is just facilitating. So in your mind, I almost want you to think of that span almost from analytical to social and then a, a hierarchy of completely doing in charge of social activities and that all the way down to just facilitating basic actions. And if you take that, it's almost a it's almost like a color graph where, you know, how can artificial intelligence help communicate people elements? Well, I'll give you some examples. One, it can flag up that there's a problem and say you might want to have a conversation on this. So it can be a trigger to a conversation. Two, it could help save us time by just booking meetings in the diary and taking meeting minutes. The, the, you know, the AI that transcribes for meeting, just very simple things like that. Three, it could help us prepare for the meetings by creating a report. And then I'll read over the report and say, yes, that's what I want to be the meeting agenda, the meeting minutes, the information, the outcomes I want to be from this meeting, etc. And at the end, it could actually be the uh, the project manager that runs around following up after you've had conversations with people. Did we achieve the objective, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So what I'd say is, it's always important to break down high-level statements into act. Like, what exactly are we talking about in, in this sense? And, like, how is it practically achieved? And, and to put a point on that, this is actually where I see a lot of product development going in the wrong direction. 
people will say a grandiose thing like um, AI will automate project management. Okay. And then they'll go, okay, so we're going to try and automate project management. I'm like, I need you to what define project management here because there's people yeah. who spent 60 years developing this as a career. And there's people who spent, you know, that amount of time becoming practitioners and writing the textbook. What are you talking about? Like which which part of project management? What bit of the life cycle? What stage? What flavor? Like what is your perspective? Like these kinds of things. So you're kind of saying actually that the, I didn't to paraphrase and replay it back to you, mm. the kind of specificity and granularity that technology enables as well is a benefit. Am I reading that right? Yes. Well, well, it's actually more that we as humans like the world to be simple, but the world isn't simple. And actually, in from my experience, gaining experience actually means gaining an understanding of all the nuances of a particular area. That's what it actually means. So if you start out in project management, you'll go, I'm a project manager. Okay. What is project management? And you might have a couple of, and I'll be like, okay, in this exact scenario, what would you do? And the answer of someone that's six months into the job will be much higher level, mm. much less educated than someone who's 10 years into the job. Because they're like, wait, what you're like, here's the specificity, here's what these means. And it's it's that it's that area that, that kind of matters. So what yeah. I'm saying is we as humans need to understand that the world is a complex area and technology is applied to specific contexts. A stupid example. I wouldn't use my mobile phone as that flat instrument that you use to smooth concrete. Mm. Ridiculous use of a mobile phone. It, but it's flat. And you go, yeah, well, that's a ridiculous example. Okay, well, would you use a piece of AI to present to the CEO of the company that's providing you a billion dollars for the funding of your project. You could, might not work out. It's mm. a risk. Yeah, I th it's interesting because, you know, obviously there's a whole fear at the moment, existential risk of AI automating people out of jobs. But actually, the, the real value of a lot of these jobs is in the, the, the exact scenario, you put presentation, convincing stakeholders, stakeholder management, all of that stuff. And that is the stuff AI can't do. It, it, yes, it can't, it can't do it now. But what I'd say is that um, in any technological shift, and what I mean by a technological shift is a piece of technology that shifts unit economics, there is a rejigging of the capitalist machine and that is the way the machine's designed it's if you can do it cheaper faster like more efficiently you will outcompete, and therefore that will become the dominant factor given that you have to assume that companies are driven by a profit motive ai is just the latest thing in a very very long line of these technologies that have changed that so a perfect example go back 300 years 80, 90% of the British population were farmers. Now, 3% of the British population are farmers. What has driven that? Engines. And it, I don't hear anyone complaining that they're not plowing the field with cows. I don't I don't hear that. I don't hear, like, you know, people complain, oh, I, you know, I don't like my job, don't like going into the office. But, you know, 
I quite like the fact that 20% of our population can be focused on sciences to cure diseases and build new technology as opposed to, you know, let's hope the crop doesn't fail and we starve this winter. And it's like, okay, well, big changes happen because it's of benefit to the whole of society. Did farmers lose their jobs? Yeah, they absolutely did. Was there a vast swathe of the country that just sat there when, well, the only job I can do is farming and just decided to die of starvation? No. People went out and found new things to do. And this is the thing that you can't predict, which is actually, for me, the core the heart of a disruptive shift. You can't predict what people are going to do. Mm. People are incredibly adaptable. They will, we're, we're clever. We'll find ways to survive and find things to do. So, no, will will the project management job, any project management job, the same job exist in 10 years that exists today? No. Does it mean the job's going to disappear? No. Does it just mean that some things will change within it? Yeah, probably. And to be honest, it'd be things like, you know, I use an exa- I use an example in a presentation I do. I, I say to a room of people, put your hands up if you don't use a computer for your job. Have okay. you ever had anyone put their hand up? Never. <laughs> and then I'd be like, cool. There are zero people in this room employed that don't use a computer. In 1950, 100% of people in this room would have not used a computer. The job hasn't gone. Yeah, the original project management role was probably orchestrating the building of the pyramids and things like that. They definitely, you know, they would have had, yeah. well, they they had mobile phones. They didn't have, well, pyramids did have paper, but most places like, you know, Aztecs didn't have paper. <laughs> okay. Paper's a, sh- a technology. The mm-hmm. mobile phone is a technology. We don't have runners anymore who run between villages to carry messages and things like that. You can phone people up. There's so many things that have changed. And, like if you actually zoom right out above above the age of a human life, this is just a tiny blip. It's just one of like thousands that have happened. The only difference is that we've got social media and we've got uh, global interconnectivity, so it's streamed to your eyeballs twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're much much more aware of the shift as it's exactly. happening as opposed to in the past. And I guess to kind of bring this around a little bit to project management. What what you see as well, historically, I would say, is in every kind of technological shift or change, you get almost a new methodology come out. So you obviously had kind of lean back in the day, and now it's all about agile. Um, I guess, you know, well, I'd love to hear your thoughts on agile as a methodology, because it's getting a bad rep at the moment. But do you think this idea of these frameworks is still useful or will continue to be useful in the future? Oh, they're, they're absolutely useful. They're absolutely useful. And and. What I would say is that, again, specificity matters. And I'm oversimplifying here, but until about the 90s, we had waterfall project management as the recognized, taught methodology of project management. And this was taught under the banner of operations management. And operations management went from individual asset creation, which was project management, all the way to continuous asset generation, which is utilities. So how do you constantly produce electricity and water and now internet and things like that? In the middle, you've got things like production lines, like car production lines and manufacturing. Agile came about because 
some very smart people understood that whilst you have individual assets to create, so technically it lies on that end of the spectrum, you cannot plan everything because the cyclical iterations of development and that cyclical iterations of development can be separated and spliced up. And it's much it's much more efficient and less costly to iterate quickly on small elements than it is to build and test in entirety. And that was software. So Agile emerged because a new technology, which was computing and software, had emerged. And they found that existing methodologies didn't match build of new technology. So they adapted it. So it wasn't that Agile took out that level of project mm. management. It was that the market was growing and that the one size didn't fit all anymore. They had to move to that. Lean came from manufacturing. It came from the Toyota production system. And again, it's just a different philosophy or flavor of project management where ultimately what you're trying to do is minimize inventory and working pro process. That is a different kind of methodology and, and it's it's specific to very specific projects that it, it would apply to. So for example, um would you would you necessarily use lean manufacturing to build a housing estate? Yes, you would, because actually that's more of a manufacturing process than it is an individual build. Would you use lean manufacturing principles to build a nuclear submarine? Probably not. Why? Because the number of repeatable elements to which you can design lean principles of the push and pull mm. mechanisms are, don't exist in the underlying requirement of the asset. So again, I think specificity really matters here. And all I see is as the world, as we as a race, as a species, get better at building many different things, as we vastly increase the amount we can build, we will develop frameworks to build that things. Yeah, because I guess your your software in particular is used on kind of large scale infrastructure, mm -hmm. you know, me mega projects. And I imagine... I mean, those are so large that actually you don't have one overarching methodology across the top of it. You have individual components potentially broken out. It's, it, de it depends on the it depends on the level. You're right. So if you're doing an overall mega project, um, you know, you're talking a hundred billion in funding kind of thing. You are absolutely using waterfall at the top level, absolutely, mm -hmm. because no finance director in the history of humanity is going hundred billion. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Just not, iterate, guys. It'll not going to happen. Not going to happen. <laughs> They're going to go, where's my milestone? Yeah. What am I getting? What, like, how much value can I extract? What's my payment periods? All of this. So at the top, you'll be using waterfall. But as you go down to the site level, at a site level, they might be using lean or even some agile methodologies on specific components. So, for example, if you're doing integration testing of different pieces of equipment, they might do that as an agile sprint, but it will be agile within a constraint set by yeah. waterfall. So it really depends on what level. Now, where we're coming in is the 
the waterfall component, how the entirety of humanity builds its largest assets. So we're talking roads, railways, power stations, data centers, hospitals, schools, all of this kind of thing. That, the core heart of it is that humanity doesn't have enough funding for the requirement of infrastructure and that you can look on the global infrastructure outlook to see that data. We're about half a trillion per year behind what we need for the growth in population, the aging infrastructure, and the uh, transition of individuals from third to second to first tier countries. So even in a first world country like the UK, the infrastructure is aging. So we have to spend 30 billion a year on infrastructure investments, et cetera. That's number one. Number two is each year that there aren't enough project managers in the world. We're, I believe the last research I looked at was 2.2 million project managers. And we're not talking base project managers. We're mm. talking people with 20, 30 years experience. And it, you can see this in different countries. If you look at Australia, almost every single one of its mega projects, it's delayed primarily because they don't have people. There's not enough people in the country with the skill set. It's almost like saying, we'd love to tackle cancer and not having doctors. So you're like... Yeah, yeah. what's going to happen here? The equation yeah. doesn't back up. Doesn't. So we don't, we don't have enough money for the infrastructure we need. And even for the infrastructure we have the money for, we don't actually have the people to build it. So when we saw that, it's right. The only thing that can happen in this environment, because people are creative, is we create machines to help mm -hmm. us. We could have gone back, you know, 500 years. We've got more things to ship than there are people who can carry it on their back. Cool. We invented the truck. That solved that problem. That was amazing. Okay. The same thing here. There's not enough project managers. Cool. Let's invent the machines to pick up the slack. That's super interesting because I actually had a question around, uh, you know, large scale infrastructure projects, especially in the UK, have, well, there's a public perception that they are over budget and take longer than expected. And I guess, do you have any sense of the di diagnosis for why? And is it this issue you're, you're explaining around? Well, I know it's, it'll be multifaceted dependent on the project. Or it is It is multifaceted, but there's actually, there's actually a, there's actually a thing at the heart of projects that uh, actually explains in my mind, and it's a testable mm. hypothesis. The thing is, a lot of the reasons I see from, and I'll go quote unquote research, are untestable hypotheses. It's just opinion. What I see is two factors. Number one is that detailed design is very rarely completed before construction begins because we need it fast. You haven't designed the thing that you're going to build. You don't know what you're going to do. It's like it's like saying, cool, we're going to build a house and it'll be done in a year. What does the house look like? Mm. Is it a single shack? Is it a 70-story skyscraper? Like, they're very, very different. And that is actually value for taxpayer because by trying to start construction before detailed design is done, you can do something called forward wave planning. Mm. Forward wave planning theoretically means the whole thing's done faster. Now, if the use of this asset is of value to society, like a hospital, you want it done as fast as possible and you're willing to accept uncertainty because of that speed. So that's 
That's number one, which is that detailed design is not always done. The second is scope change. As you go through a project, things change. So let's say that you're building a warship. It'd take you a good five, 10 years to build one. How much do computers change in 10 years? Well, exponentially up until fairly recently. Okay. Can you plan computers in from day one then? Well, no, no. And I suppose that's many components, not just computers, right? Yeah, I'm using it as an example. Many components. So things change. And actually, the project, the project that was promised here might be in name the project that's delivered, but it is not in nature the project that's delivered. They're very different things. And it's because it's being adapted to the emerging technologies, the emerging economics, and the emerging needs of the process. So it would be the equivalent of going, right, we're going to build a railway and we have steam engines. Cool. Mm. And then someone comes along and goes, I've built electric. It's amazing. It's cheaper, it's faster, it's silent, it doesn't pollute. And then you go, no, 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 no. We are not going to adopt electric. We are going to stay with steam. Why? Because that's what we promised the British public. No, you'd go, look, the best thing is that we'd migrate to this. So actually, that those two mechanisms at the heart, like when a project is proposed, part of me kind of doesn't care how long they say and how much it costs to start with. Part of me, the part of me only cares what's the value to the society. Hmm. So if they go, look, this will generate about 30 billion of value for society over this many years, I go, cool. Let's make sure we make 5 billion profit so it doesn't cost more than 25 billion. As long as it doesn't go above that, we're good. I guess what the challenge is what happens when it goes above that. And I'm kind of, HS2 is kind of the, the case probably a lot of people have in their minds with a lot of this, where actually even the kind of fundamental economic conditions that are dry, were driving the project initially have changed with the pandemic, different working patterns, you know, this requirement not to be in London as much. Also, they've shelved the kind of northern leg of it anyway, which was delivering the majority of the value. So... <laughs> I guess it underlies a kind of question we we have to tackle as a society is as technology exponentially changes and those kind of underlying changes you've outlined will get faster and faster and we can't plan for them. There'll be even more uncertainty and also economic conditions are changing. Where do we allocate our resources? It's a constant review. And actually, if you actually look at the changes made on HS2 this year, they're changing because the business case is shifting. Yeah, yeah. They, they do it with every, the government does it with every product. The British government is one of the most advanced project delivery organizations the planet has ever seen. Like, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Like, the British, the French, the Germans, and the US, for whatever historical reason, are incredible at getting projects done. And whereas the newspapers would spin something as a failure, it is actually really good management. So they're going, oh, the budget's increasing. So, you know, I don't know for exact, like this would just be my hypothesis. HS2 is a railway. Railways need a lot of steel and concrete. Cool. Ukraine has made the prices of those skyrocket. Cool. Is it surprising that the budget has increased? No. Has the government then de-scoped the project to make sure that it, it fits the business case that delivers value to the public? Yes. 
do the papers just go, it's blown all of its budgets mm. and like that's what they say. But I like the analysis should be, is this a smart decision? It's just that that makes really bad news. Headline, government makes clever decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's going to print it. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to print that. So it's like, okay. Now, could the British government control all of the um, dynamics that happen in a capitalist mar- global capitalist marketplace? No. So you just have to be able to adapt to it. It's, it's really as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, that, that it makes a lot of sense. And I guess, you know, as you say, people delivering projects of the scale, you know, there, there is a sophistication and an ability that a lot of businesses potentially don't even kind of comprehend or, or understand. And I guess, are there any kind of lessons we can draw from the delivery of these? You know, like these projects are so vast and so complex, and it is a wonder we are able to build the world we live in. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's anything best practice businesses could take and is it back to your points around change and adapt it'd be foolish of me to say oh here are some points that everyone can think about from this what i what i would say is that when you embark on an impossible endeavor you will have unexpected consequences modern project management was actually developed on the apollo program they set out america set out to go to the moon and to do that, they had to deliver something that had never been done before to a budget that was totally unrealistic with massive change. They said, go to the moon. <laughs> We've never gone to space. Okay. Like incredibly untested technology, this kind of thing. They actually developed all of the modern waterfall project management principles in the 60s. And they've held for every single infrastructure project since the 60s. This has been the profession. Then... Agile has been created, which has designed the world software. Facebook, Google, like all of these were based off elements of those underlying principles. And then Lean was all of the manufacturing. Mm. What I'd say is that when a mega project happens, there will be be spin-offs of benefits that you just can't possibly imagine or see beforehand. And it's if you are thinking in big timescales, there's there's absolute fortunes that can be made for the people who understand what those spin-offs are and how they will change and shape the way that society works. I'll give you a perfect example. HS2 is the largest project in the UK right now, and it has a mandate to be carbon neutral. How the hell is a £100 billion project that is transporting using electricity going to be carbon neutral within the budget we'll find out and the principles that they develop around carbon and sustainability will probably drive the principles for the rest of the country for 50 years because they'll experiment they'll go well this works this doesn't work we need a framework of governance we need policies and processes and procedures in place to evaluate like there's some other things that i can't get into the details of because i'm Mm. under like NDAs, et cetera, but they are having some very advanced thoughts about how you would go about doing this, which will ripple into all building works across Europe. Yeah, and that trickle-down effect is, is really interesting. And I guess the, a lot of the methodologies businesses in particular are using at the moment are a trickle-down of, as you say, the space race in the 60s, you know, the software <laughs> kind of explosion. So I guess it, it's almost like follow best practice as it's set by the leaders. 
Yes, which is afterwards. But what what I'd say is there's always value to trying to do something that seems ridiculous. Mm. Whatever ridiculous, like people will go benefits to go. There's always a value in trying to get under 10 seconds with 100 meters because of the, Im- the spin-off impacts that will happen because of that. Like a perfect example for me is computing at Bletchley Park. I think a machine can can do what humans can't. Mental, impossible. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. And then that spins off essentially the entire modern era. And there's so many kind of you call them happy accidents in history. Yeah, everyone will go back to the nuclear and go, oh, well, it created nuclear bombs and things like that. What they what they don't understand, or what they they won't also think about, is it also created radiation therapy for cancer treatments it created healthcare scanning of of the body it created uh checking of welds which enabled us to produce much larger buildings and much larger ships which are more economical so the massive tankers wouldn't have been produced before because you wouldn't have been able to check welds to see if there's fractures within them Mm. so like there's all of these spin-offs about you're trying to do something that fundamentally requires that you understand nuclear physics to a level that you've never understood it before. And then that spins off into universities, which spins off into education, which then goes into industry. And then people find use cases in lots of different fields to be able to develop products which increase the GDP of a country. Yeah. So it's give it a go, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it's give it, it's give it a give it a go in a way that doesn't break the bank. Yeah. And I, I suppose that's the other thing, like understand your constraints as well and ha- actually have those kind of mapped out. I think the final point is just a hypothesis that I have, which is what what is the AI revolution? Now, I, I can talk specifically about construction. It's not what is AI. It's almost irrelevant what AI is, but what is it doing is the key thing. I have people tell me that construction is slow to innovate, total rubbish. Total rubbish. Any industry is really fast to innovate when something is developed which fundamentally changes the actual value drivers of that industry. So how fast did marketing change when social media was invented? Well, that became a new discipline overnight. (laughs) Instantaneous. Newspapers went boomf. Newspapers are going, can we please have some revenue from the social media companies? (laughs) No. Bang, like billboards, bang, uh, social media ad spend, boom, like this. So that was that was one. Um, how many banks do not use digital banking? Probably not. Hopefully none. None. And actually, what percentage of money is purely digital? It isn't physical. It depends what country you're in, I guess, is the answer to that one. But it's the vast majority. Vast mm. majority. So it's like banks are digital. Mm. It, Paper, paper and physical branches are the exception, actually. People had big thoughts about blockchain. Name me an industry that blockchain fundamentally disrupts the heart of how they produce value. Crooks, criminals, Ponzi schemes is what it disrupts. So everyone went from normal Ponzi schemes to blockchain Ponzi schemes. (laughs) Have banks fundamentally got, no, the underlying promise of blockchain it is false to think that it won't be centralized it'll just be centralized blockchain if at all why because 
people need to know that that asset is secure for it to be used in wide circulation. And secure means there's someone they can point to with the biggest gun who will turn around and say, I will aim this gun at whoever doesn't obey the rules of this market. Simple as that. Now, people can use the force of market dynamics. Cool. Find me a cryptocurrency where governments will be willing to give up that level of power. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be widespread enough that the market doesn't have monopoly power. By the way, market has monopoly power in the US dollar right now. So it's US dollar by owns. So then we go to artificial intelligence. Well, it's automation of the mind. In construction, the internet didn't really change much. Why? Construction's about building stuff. The thing it changed is that rather than sending mail to people with plans, they email it. Cool. It it was a good thing. Awesome. Has social media changed construction? How does it help you build stuff? Has blockchain changed construction? How does it help you build stuff? And people can go, oh, well, you can track payments and things like this. Construction companies are pretty damn good at getting paid. Yeah. It's, it's not like there's no construction company there going, oh, money would be a nice addition to my yeah, business. Yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. But automation of office work, mm. that does change construction because 30% of all cost of projects is office work. So if you can speed that up, make that more efficient, you have a huge fundamental, you help things get built faster. The only other one would be proper robotics. Yeah, yeah. Like on the site kind of stuff. And then the the third would be, no, I used to watch sci-fi programs like Stargate. If you could just magic material out of the air at zero cost, you'd be like, concrete, please. And it just falls. That plus robots plus AI it's still, it's just automating bits of construction. So yeah. or instant why... travel, that yeah. also would be amazing. Yeah. Well, so instant travel, instant travel for construction wouldn't disrupt the fundamentals, but for, for train lines, dead, dead overnight. So it, yeah, for transport. So but you get, you get my, you, you know, my final yeah, yeah, point yeah. here is about if it hits the fundamental value at the heart of the entire industry, then the change will happen very, very quickly. So the listeners of this, but be it AI or whatever future technology, if they just ask themselves that question, does this hit at the heart of my industry? Then they'll know how big the shift is going to be. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. I think AI marketing is a very interesting one. And I think the answer actually fundamentally is no. We can do things a bit faster, but it doesn't actually make you a- fundamentally more creative. Unless people give up their decision-making responsibilities at a personal level to their own personal AI, because then you'd have a different absorber. Marketing is directed at people because people are the ultimate end of all value. Money is just a transfer of value. People are the ultimate end. Social media changed because it went from being physical copy to digital copy. So people consumed in a different way. They weren't going to get a paper. They were going to sit at their computer and consume. So that was a fundamental shift. Adding AI into marketing doesn't change the way that people consume. So it only has the capability to change the operation of the economics. Yeah, the only kind of like edge case for that is things like SEO, where actually you are marketing to a machine. You're marketing to Google. That's where you could have AI battling AI, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But actually, I see the biggest the biggest impact that AI is going to have 
is actually on high education office work. It's because computers find it very easy to do logical processes because they are logic machines. Humans have evolved for hundreds of millions of years to be adaptable in an unpredictable environment. So contextual understanding for us is incredibly easy. Like babies start to get it. They just learn it naturally. And teaching them pure mathematics and coding is something you have to do when people reach 20 and 30 years old. For a computer, it's like the other way around. Mathematics and coding is the equivalent of a baby. And getting them to understand social context is a very hard thing to do. We're opposite in our evolution. And it makes sense because, to be honest, if I had a machine that's like, oh, it can talk to your mum for you, I'd be like, why would I want that? But actually, if you think about the complexity of that machine will be astounding. Like, it knows knows the context. It can do emotional cues. It can create a face. It can talk. Like, it can be connective like whereas if you went i can create a machine that can automate the report you have to write on friday take my money yeah take my money that's that's the weird switch that ai has made yeah i like that that's probably the clearest articulation of that i've heard actually thank you so much for coming on that was a great like really interesting conversation if people want to find out more about you company that kind of stuff where where's the best place to head well just find me on linkedin i uh Greg Lawton um, at no like nodes nodes and links. You can just find me on LinkedIn. Add me, send me a message. I generally respond when I see the messages, but it depends how popular this is. We'll see. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll try. We'll try not to spam you too much. But thank you again for coming on. That was amazing. And um, yeah, speak to you soon. Thank you so much to Greg for coming on the show. Really enjoyed that conversation. I'll pop all links down in the show notes as usual and to say I really hope you stick around for the rest of this season. We've got some really cool stuff coming up, um, talking to companies like WageStream, companies that are in very early stages of building you know, climate tech propositions as well really really cool things and you know if you wanted to show some support some love for the podcast please do leave us a rating and or a review on the podcast platform of your choice and finally if you want to find out more about ov the work we do how we help people just head on over to our website super easy to find we don't want a .com domain which seems very fancy to me that was a again an interesting migration project website migration projects are always interesting but anyway until the next episode i will say adieu and i really hope you enjoy the rest of your day